Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 290 and my conversation with Mobile, Alabama-based timpanist, percussionist, freelancer, and professor of percussion at a number of institutions on the Gulf Coast, Laura Noah. We'll check back in with her shortly. We continue to be in the midst of a very busy semester. Classes will finish next week, and there's going to be a lot of grading. We are also in the midst of a week full of closing concerts, along with the return of Mizzou hosting an in-person state music fest for the first time since 2019. So it's busy. It's very busy. But I also had the opportunity to return back to my college alma mater, Wake Forest University, to honor the retirement of the orchestra director there, Dr. David Hagee. It was an amazing experience that I will talk about more expansively in the rave to follow this conversation. And what about this conversation? Well, let's meet today's guest, Laura Noah. Laura and I are meeting for the first time here, and it was great to get to chat with her. I found out about Laura through her work with the PAS Diversity Alliance, as she is currently their point person for that organization on socioeconomic concerns. I followed through to learn that she is one of the most active percussionists well, ever, honestly. The list of orchestras she plays with as principal tippinists include the Mobile Symphony, Pensacola Symphony, Meridian Symphony, and Gulf Coast Symphony, all in the Alabama and Florida area. Here's the list of institutions she teaches at. University of West Florida, University of Mobile, Pensacola State College, and mcgill Tulin Catholic High School in Mobile, Alabama, where she works with the marching percussion. It is quite a plan to make it all happen, and you'll hear about how she's able to organize this incredibly packed schedule. Laura's career, like many, was railroaded by COVID, and you'll get to hear about how she managed her creativity during that first 18 months of the time. You'll also get to hear about her upbringing in Alabama, her time in drum corps and the Aspen Music Festival, her descriptions of the Saul Goodman School of Timpani versus the Cloyd Duff School, studying with Jonathan Haas at Peabody, and her time in Baltimore. Plus, we have the usual close to the podcast. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on April 12th, 2022, and it begins right now. Laura, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are right now. I'm the principal timpanist for four orchestras, the Mobile Symphony, Pensacola Symphony, the Meridian Symphony, and the Gulf Coast Symphony. Um, Gulf Coast Symphony is in Biloxi, Mississippi. And then in addition, I also teach adjunct uh, percussion at uh, University of West Florida as their director of percussion and also at the University of Mobile currently. Oh, and Pensacola State College. Sorry. I, re- I re-picked that one back up. And uh, did I read also, do you still, and do you do um, front ensemble arranging as well? I do. Uh, I do that for my husband's high school. I also actually teach uh, the prep band. So like beginner percussion, Mm. like I do a beginner percussion uh, class at my husband's uh, middle schools. He's actually has, um, he's at McGill tool and Catholic high school. And he has uh, like four or five different um, Catholic middle schools. 
And so they all meet on one day. So I have like a big percussion class on Tuesdays in which I teach. So of those activities, what's yes. the, what got you to the area? All right. So this was 2004 mm-hmm. and I, I had just finished graduate work at Peabody and my husband was already teaching at a high school in uh, kind of in the center of the state of Alabama. He was teaching at a uh, high school in Centerville. While he was there, I was, I had gotten sort of a sub timpani spot with the Huntsville symphony. And I also got a section position with the Gulf coast symphony, which was then in Biloxi. So we were sort of centrally located sort of in the middle of the state of Alabama. And I was driving, you know, for a couple of gigs in Huntsville and a couple of gigs at Biloxi. Hurricane Ivan hit, I think this was in 2004, down on the coast. I had sent uh, my resumes out to basically all the regional orchestras and the Mobile Symphony called me. So I ended up playing a concert because their timpanist could not play. And so from there, I started becoming a sub with the Mobile Symphony. Then a couple of years later, uh, the principal percussion position opened and then I won that position. And then I think one or two years after that, the principal timpani position came open and I won that position. So I've been principal timpanist since 2007 with Mobile. So then in 2011, no, in 2010, we moved to Mobile since I was starting to get, um, I was already playing sub uh, percussion with Pensacola Symphony. I was in the section uh, Gulf Coast Symphony. So yeah, so if we figured that moving to Mobile, since those two cities are within an hour of each other, would be a nice, easy uh, kind of place to to re- relocate. And so we've been here for a little over, you know, 10, 11, 12 years now. Was your husband, was his jobs moving like similarly over? He ended up getting the job at McGill Toolin um, in 2010. So as soon as I, we probably would have moved to the coast sooner, but we had to sort of wait till he got a job. And once he did, then we moved down here and we've been here for since then. Mobile, you said is the kind of the, the, is that the, would that be kind of the principle of the, of the jobs or are they all kind of in the same uh, freelance ish circle? I'm making Um, a circle thing and this is not going to be audio only, but hands anyway. I mean, I guess I, I consider it in my head to be my primary, um, but essentially each of these four orchestras play about, you know, six classical concerts um, in their seasons. So basically like once a month for, for your September to May season. Pensacola Symphony tends to play a few more concerts. They have a, three, a few um, pops concerts thrown in there. Pensacola and Mobile both have um, a two-opera cycle. So they each do two operas, one in the fall and one in the spring. The Gulf Coast and the Meridian Symphonies, which are the two um, Mississippi symphonies, they have smaller seasons. So I think they only do five concerts apiece, and that includes family concerts. So I get most of my work out of Mobile and Pensacola, if that helps. Yep. Good. Gotcha. So... And then from there, how mm-hmm. did the college teaching stuff come about? Well, I started teaching, I was teaching adjunct at uh, UAB when we were living close to Birmingham, close to the center of the state of Alabama. Then we moved down here, I started teaching at South Alabama 
um, just like music appreciation classes. No big deal. And then I got a call from the department chair at the University of West Florida, and they were looking for a percussion teacher. And so I started teaching adjunct. And then, of course, um, I guess I started doing that one. Is that 2014, maybe? Roundabouts. Um, so I basically picked up a couple of college teaching jobs, um, teaching percussion, which is great because I started I started building a studio. So I do a percussion, percussion ensemble over there. And then I think about five years ago, they started to create a marching band, which isn't quite a marching band yet, but it's the beginnings of one. So now I have drumline responsibilities. So my class load has grown quite a bit over there, which is good. And there's another school that you're also teaching at? at the University of Mobile. I have uh, like uh, a student <laughs> this semester. Sometimes I have three, sometimes I have five. It just kind of varies. And then I'm um, teaching percussion methods, percussion methods class for the education majors. And then at Pensacola State College, which is a two-year program in Pensacola, I have a few students there. Um, it keeps me busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of okay, so, so let's... <laughs> Trying to make sense of of how you can possibly manage all this um, very carefully. <laughs> very carefully. Okay. That. Okay. Oh yeah. There'll there'll be a follow up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. I'm just I'm, I'm thinking about with all the the symphony playing. Mm-hmm. Do you like? Will you get that schedule and and say okay, these are my times for that all mm-hmm. throughout and then here's where I'm going to put book all of the, my lesson teaching, my class, all that stuff. Is that kind of how that you put that together? Yeah. Yeah. We get our contracts usually at the end of sometime in May um, is when we get our contracts for the next season. So I enter in all those dates and then, which usually takes up uh, Friday, Saturday Um, mobile has the longest cycle because we do like a Thursday night, double Friday, double Saturday and a Sunday matinee. So, um, and then Pensacola usually does like a Tuesday night, a double Friday, double Saturday. Wow. And then the others are just Friday, Saturday. So I don't schedule anything to do on Friday. Um, Thursdays, I've actually started um, keeping clear because in uh, Mobile, I actually move my personal set of drums to the hall, which is great for the classical concerts. So, um, but that takes that whole process is like a three hour process to like go rent the U hall, make sure I get somebody and my husband at the house to load the drums into the van, drive the van downtown, unload them and then take the U hall back. So it's a little bit of a process. So it kind of clears my Thursday for that on those, um, concert cycles. Uh, and then, so what I end up having to do is, because of classes, right? So I actually teach like a music and world cultures class and percussion pedagogy class. So those are a Monday, Wednesday class. So I basically stack all of my lessons back to back to back to back on those um, two days. So do and then you, Tuesday, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> do, you, um, do you do color code? your oh my gosh yes my <laughs> so, so, that, calendar, so you can actually be in the right location at the right time yes my calendar looks like a rainbow it's very very colorful <laughs> each school has its own color each when i my practice time has its own color the symphonies have its own color yeah it's great it's lovely nice so but yeah i just live by that calendar if i didn't have that 
Oof, I'd be very lost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then I, I'm, I'm just going to ask this question just to get it out of the way, which is what are your sure. taxes like? My tests? Taxes. Oh, my taxes. Oh, uh, my husband does my taxes. <laughs> you just bring him like yeah. a box and just be like, here you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we actually do a pretty good job of, uh, we actually have an envelope system. So we keep business receipts and like personal receipts separate. So when it's time to come to tax time, we have like two piles, the business pile and the, uh, the, uh, our personal pile. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he's just been doing turbo tax and taking care of it and doing all the deductions and he actually kind of likes doing it. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> we each have our own duties and things that we, we like to do. So he likes doing it. So I'm like, all right, we haven't had any issues. So <laughs> that's good. So far so good. That's good. But yeah, it's a lot to, it's a lot to keep up with 1099s and 1099s and 1099s. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What and what's your um commuting situation like? And and have how many cars have you had to roll through? <laughs> on my third. Okay. Uh yeah. Uh, so I'm on my third. Uh well this one I'm on right now is I I basically just got into a bad car accident and totaled my previous oh, no. car. Yeah. So I, I was fine, but the car was not. So we uh yeah, but this one, uh, I've I've caught up to the mileage that my husband's car is, and it's two years older than my current car. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the road way, way too much. Um, I mean, every, like, Pensacola is about an hour and 15 minutes from my house. University of Mobile, which is in town, but it's still a 20-minute 20, 20 commute. Yeah, and then the symphonies, other than Mobile, it's about an hour. Um, Meridian is two and a half hours from me so that's the longest drive so yeah but i'm in the car way too much <laughs> are do you, when you do these some of these out of town gigs are you getting housing too or are you just coming right back so pensacola and and uh gulf coast and gulfport those are each an hour and 15 from the house so they don't provide housing but they do provide mileage um, but, and Meridian, because of the two and a half hour drive, I do, they do put us up in a, in a nice hotel. Does this essentially mean though, that your kind of your performing, like you, you, you're, you're, are you basically maxed out in terms of performing, uh, because of all this is kind of set up or do you still find time to kind of do your own kind of creative work? I am a little maxed out. I, little is not even a good word. Yeah, I, I'm tapped out. I'm I'm full to the brim, uh, which is actually kind of sad because uh, I I would like to be able to do some more creative artistic endeavors outside of work, and I just don't have the time to insert it into the schedule currently. Because basically, when I'm not teaching and practicing, that's yeah. <laughs> and so but it's good i mean i actually work almost every weekend out of the month there it's kind of like i think i just got done with a stint of i think there were six weekends in a row of concerts the spring tends to be a little bit heavier than the fall um which is nice so but i do have a couple of free weekends sprinkled in here um so yeah that's good like this weekend is a free weekend because of easter so which is even though I do have an Easter gig. Right. <laughs> yeah. Unrelated, but same. Right. Yeah. Unrelated, but still. Yeah. 
the summers, are they relatively open then? Yeah. Um, my summers are free except for, um, anything I have to plan for like the marching season or teaching band camps or whatnot. Um, usually June is pretty wide open. Um, yeah, which is actually kind of nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. School in Florida. Yeah. Uh, West Florida. Is that right? Yeah. So is that a, is that a place where you said that they, like you were working there and they needed someone to do percussion, like at some point while you were there. Is that, is that right? The, the guy that they had teaching percussion decided to leave for a, basically another career, another job. Um, so they needed somebody to come in and, and teach percussion. And so I started, uh, so I started with teaching lessons and then I started, and then I added, uh, I created the percussion ensemble. I think shortly around that same time, I was also teaching some students at Pensacola state, which is in about 20 minutes apart from each other. So when I did create the percussion ensemble, for example, it was a joint percussion ensemble because I didn't have enough kids at West Florida when I started or Pensacola state to have a percussion ensemble. So I combined them. Um, and that actually worked out really well. And we did that for, for several years. The, it's been kind of weird, the uh, attendance or the students, um, the size of the studio has gone up, it's gone down, it's gone up. So it kind of fluctuates a little bit. We had some, we had some good years. I took the percussion ensemble to PASIC for the chamber percussion ensemble competition in 2017. Um, and we had some really nice uh, big guest artists in 2018. So, and yeah. then COVID, the COVID years were fairly lean at West Florida, mm -hmm. is that is that a position that could it grow anymore at this point, or would it have to switch to uh, something more full time for that to happen? There's still room for growth in the percussion studio. Right now, the athletic band we call it the athletic band because it's not quite a marching band. It doesn't have a full time faculty line yet, so there are a few other positions that need to create into a full-time position. I think probably before my line becomes something of that nature, but there is potential for, for that kind of growth. I think if the, if the university is on track sure. <laughs> for all that. So. Yeah. There's a, because there's a lot of times where something like that, there's a cap for yeah. what someone can do. And then it's like, then they have to either like turn it over or just say you're, that's it. <laughs> Sometimes I kind of wish that was the case, sure. but no, <laughs> not in this case. It's like, cause they keep saying, do you want another class? I'm like, Nope, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I can't handle uh, my Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm sorry. My Mondays and Wednesdays are completely, they're not completely full yet, but they are really darn close. You have so. 4.30 AM is, is open. Is that still open or? Yeah, that's still open. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow nobody wants to take a lesson at that time i don't understand yeah. it. i thought these students wanted to wanted my expertise but i guess not. yeah uh, you know <laughs> all right so th this is kind of fascinating and and it's uh, now i need to know what happened covid wise because obviously so much of your job of your livelihood is based on performing yeah. So, all right. When COVID hit, um, 
everything shut down completely. Um, and actually that whole spring, um, it was funny. It was like, I had, it was usually that's like, you know, March, April, May is the biggest symphony season. Like I have concerts like weekend after weekend after weekend. So I, I felt myself, I had the energy, right. I had all this creative energy that needed to get out there. So I just started recording myself. And so then I created a YouTube channel and I put on some, some recordings of myself. And the first couple are absolutely horrendous. I mean, I was starting with like a little iPhone and a really crappy recorder and finally, you know, over the crowd, well, let's get a better camera. All right, let's get some better microphones. So we started like getting more and the, the quality got better. And it was a wonderful kind of outlet. I did like a hundred day practice challenge during that time. I was just like, I need to play. I need to play. I need to play. So that's, that's what I did during COVID. And all the while the universities were switching over to Zoom classes. So it's like, all right, let's learn how to do all the Zoom stuff. So we do Zoom lessons. We do the ensembles just basically just shut down because there's just no way to do it. So you're doing your online classes and you're doing your Zoom lessons. And yeah, just kind of getting used to what's going on with the world. Then the following season, so when the fall rolls around, um, a couple of the orchestras start gently adding concerts back in, but with major social distance. Everybody is, has a mask on. And actually the first couple, like I know with Mobile and Pensacola is they just did strings only. Mm. Like they would just, they just didn't even want to even approach having woodwind and brass players. Uh, so I, I got lucky actually that I was able to play on a couple of those concerts that were just strings. So like strings and the timpani. And then as we got into the spring, I think they added a few small woodwinds but it was very weird very social i think the weirdest concert i actually did was um in mobile we played uh the beethoven violin concerto Mm. with me and strings so there were no brass (laughs) and no woodwinds so it was the weirdest experience um but it was also interesting that we actually played so the concert cycles became shorter so like instead of doing a full like two hour concerts, we were doing like hour long concerts. And so in Mobile, we actually did four performances of the, the Beethoven Violin Concerto, for example. We would do like a six o'clock uh, show and then like an eight o'clock show. And then we would do another like one thirty and three thirty or something on Sunday. So that was also, man, I kudos to the violin soloist. Can't remember who it was, but playing you know that's a lot <laughs> that many performances of that <laughs> concerto so yeah um, but yeah but it was good and then um this season has pretty much been back to normal and we've only just i think within the last couple of weeks um are now masks optional so yeah, yeah so it's actually been good so i was fortunate um some of my percussion friends have not quite gotten as much work as I have. Um, I guess just because they've, you know, they'll add timpani before you'll add um, a lot of percussion stuff. And we've been doing, you know, early rep, a lot of early rep. So. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of two drum, oh, two yeah. drum works. 
That's easier yeah, on, that was, on, the, on the movement for you. Yeah. Yeah. That was the last concert, two drums. It was a uh, Haydn, uh, the London symphony. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, it's a, it was a Beethoven, um, so it was a Beethoven piece with a choir. Anyway, so I had two drums. Oh, two Choral Fantasy? I think so. Not not the Ninth Symphony, but the other one. Right. Uh, Fantasy. Is it with piano? No, this one is the one. I think it's uh, Calm Sea and Prosper's Voyage. I think it's what. Yeah, that's what it's called. Calm okay. Sea and Prosper's Voyage. So it's a very short. Um, gosh, it was like five or six minutes. It's a relatively mm-hmm. short piece, but it has a lot of like. Uh, it's with choir and orchestra, uh, a small orchestra, and has reminiscence of of Beethoven nine mm. in it. So yeah, it was nice. I had, I had a never heard of the piece before, and b never played it, and it was actually uh, it was a joy. It was great. But yeah, DNA, whole <laughs> 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 concert. That's right. <laughs> or are you ready? Yes, I, yes. I don't need to guess. I'm still ready. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Still ready. Yep. <laughs> Stop looking yeah. at me. I know I'm already ready. So <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, the other thing I want to ask you about is your work on the PAS Diversity Committee Alliance. Okay. Excuse me. Um, yeah. How? What made you get interested in joining that group? I actually it was uh, 2015. I went to the PASIC that was in San Antonio, and I somehow just happened to show up to the meeting. <laughs> there was a diversity Alliance meeting. It was one of the first meetings. I can't remember exactly when it was created, but it was so I showed up before that, I think. Yeah, I think so. So I showed up and um, it was nice because it was a bunch of us sort of sharing our stories um, with each other and kind of um, trying to just uh, sort of understand that we're not all not alone. I mean, being a female percussionist, it's a little bit, it's a little different because you just don't have that many. Um, I mean, I can probably count on, you know, two hands, how many, actually on one hand, how many female percussionists I've actually played with mm. uh, professionally. It's just, so I just uh, started, I joined the group and then, what is it? I think it was right before the pandemic. They, uh, they were asking for a, a point person to head up the socioeconomic committee. And so I volunteered um, to do it. And so I've been doing that um, since then. So we, uh, it's actually interesting. The whole diversity Alliance has really grown. We have all of these tiny kind of committees inside of the, the giant Alliance um, tackling different aspects. And so ours is basically um, socioeconomic diversity, trying to figure out how, um, and how to navigate that so what kinds of things have been projects or items in that within that subcommittee that you've been looking at there was a project that we did uh recently where um right before PASIC uh we were trying to put together a called a PASIC on a penny Hmm. so it was a sort of a document of tips and tricks on how to save money or how to do PASIC on the cheap so someplace for everybody to sort of find um, find a way to, to make, uh, to do basic, uh, affordable. We don't have anything currently that we're working on, but we've, uh, batted around some ideas to maybe combine with, um, the education committee on trying to provide 
you know, educational events uh, for the community that are either like free or sponsored. What kinds of within the basic on a penny, what kinds of discoveries or realities came up? Hotels, basically, you know, you can find um, hotels connecting with people to see if you can buddy up with others. Um, we're even talking about uh, ride shares by trying to do group ride shares to get from the airport and back again. What about food? Right. Yeah. Food would be if you, if you can, you know, you travel by yourself, you can bring your own food, um, taking your own water bottle so that you can fill up in the water fountain. And there are, I mean, there are affordable places to eat around town if you're just strategic about where to eat. Um, so, yeah. So those kind of things. Does, is there like a, a, a structure for how long people stay as point people uh, within the group? There's no set, um, I guess, terms. So we don't have any set terms. It's basically as long as you volunteer to do so. Um, usually uh, people do it a year or two years and then they hand it off to somebody else. So every now and then we get, um, you know, notifications of, oh, okay, this position is open. Is anybody interested? And so, so far, I think it's just been by sort of nomination and just whoever wants to, you know, take over that mantle, essentially. Um, I don't think we've had to do any official voting as far as to, so who's going to do what? So it's good. Well, uh, Laura, let's back up. Where did you sure. grow up? I grew up in a little town uh, called Centerville in Alabama. Uh, it's about 30 minutes from Tuscaloosa, if you know where that's at. Mm -hmm. And then about um, 45 minutes south of Birmingham. So that's kind of where it's located. Uh, as you said, did you have any family members in the arts? No, apparently my grandfather on my dad's side, he, he, he passed away before I was born, but apparently he was in a barbershop quartet. Mm. So he was, so he apparently had a lovely singing voice. Um, but other than that, nope, I don't have anybody else in my family. My parents were both, um, they were in the funeral home business. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, my dad was a funeral director and my mom was the secretary. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah. Does that mean you spent some time in funeral homes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> too much. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go in thinking, family business. Well, I actually, my first four years of life, we lived in the apartment upstairs. So, it was a very much a, you know, Veda Sultanfus kind of. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I didn't get. Have Veda Sultanfus. That's the uh, the actress. Oh gosh, what movie was that? Oh, I can't remember the name of that movie. So you can totally edit that out, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like it was this movie. Gosh, I think Macaulay Culkin was in it when he was a little kid. Like about okay. this girl. I think it was called My Girl, actually. Oh yes. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Where she lived in like a funeral home. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, was you. that was me until I was five. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> that movie gets very dark, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's not. It's it's been a long time since I've seen it, but yeah, it's not happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm I'm so fascinated now. I have to ask you about that. <laughs> you know, sure. Because that, I mean, that's a. It's a. It's weird, like, because that's isn't that a kind of a business? Well, 
a business where it's like, it, that's not necessarily on a specific schedule either. Right. Like, I mean, it, right. it has, you people have to yeah. come to like, I, I assume I'm, I'm guessing here. My dad would, was on call like mm-hmm. at all. So he'd get calls in the middle of the night. So, and that he did that for 40 years, basically. Yeah. So we always, you know, we got used to phones ringing in the middle of the night, him having to leave. Um, he was around. So it's not that he wasn't around. He just, you know, sometimes you have to miss, you know, performances or miss, you know, events or whatever, but yeah. I'm sorry. I'm keeping, I'm keeping, no, no, no. It's fine. But was it, was it a, a family business for them? Like did they inherited or they like went into it uh, just. Yeah, they actually inherited. So my grandparents, okay. So it actually goes back another generation. So my great grandfather started uh, a funeral home and then my grandfather took it over and then my dad took it, um, took it over. Actually they had two branches. Mm. Um, so my dad did the Centerville branch and my grandfather did the, uh, the r- original branch in Montevallo. Um, and he, they did that until they sold, they sold the business. Um, cause it was just a family business until about the mid nineties, I think. And then they sold it to a company and, then over the, you know, from the mid nineties till today, it got bought out by a couple of different companies here and there. So when do you uh, get bitten by the percussion bug? So I actually got bit when I did, I did drum corps for a few years. So uh, that was sort of the start of it. Um, I had started taking lessons uh, when I was in high school. Um, my parents got me a marimba you know, so I started learning how to play marimba and I got really involved. And then I started, I did drum corps in high school. So I did actually, um, did Southwind for two years while I was in high school. It was like a junior, senior in high school. Uh, and then I went to, and I was like, Oh, well, I want to study music. I want to, you know, go be, you know, get a music degree. So then I go to the university of Alabama. Of course, it's like 30 minutes from the house. So, uh, that's where I got my undergrad. Um, then I think my uh, freshman year of college, I, I, um, I do Santa Clara Vanguard. So I was in their front ensemble. That was 1999. So I did that for a year. And then I, the summer after that, I actually went to the Aspen Music Festival. Very different. And that was very, very different. So completely different worlds, which is fine. So yeah. completed my drum corps career which is great. And then I did Aspen and Aspen actually was really when I decided that I wanted to do this for a lit. Like I actually, this is what I want to do like for the rest of my life. It was, it was funny. I, um, I was talking with a, a donor at a, at a dinner, um, with, uh, with the mobile symphony. So like a musician, uh, donor dinner. And he asked me, it was like, do you remember the exact time when you knew that this is what you were going to do? And I said, yes, Absolutely. It was a cafe in Aspen and it was bright and sunny outside. And I knew this is what I, I want to play timpani. I want to be a timpanist for a living. That's what I want to do. And so ever since then, that's been the path that I've been on and I've been doing it. And I love it. I would, that's my happy place. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so th- does it, so you get into percussion l- later then? Or you were um, doing it up until that point. Yeah, I was, I started, 
seventh grade. Okay. So I was playing percussion in middle school and in high school in seventh grade. Um, and yeah, so I just, it was just something I was good at and I enjoyed doing. So I just kept pursuing it and kept taking lessons and just kept doing things. And yeah. Wait, so was, did you have a, did you have a piano background at all or no? I had a little bit. I took a a little bit of lessons when I was in uh, middle school, but I never really stuck with it. Mildly enjoyable. (laughs) That sounds about right for middle school piano. (laughs) Yeah. So. So right on, right on point then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I actually thought I was going to be a singer. Oh, that changed my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Once I got into percussion, I was like, "Mm, I like this better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you get connected with drum corps? Was it through just through people in high school that you were with? Oh, it was actually my teacher. So I was, uh, so I was taken privately from a guy at the university of Alabama Mm -hmm. when I was in high school. Um, he was, a, I think he was a grad student there. So I was taking lessons and he said, Hey, I'm teaching, you know, this summer with this drum corps. Why don't you come to the audition camp and just see what it's like? And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> so, you know, hopped in the car with my mom. She took me down there, did the audition camp. And the whole weekend he was like, well, what do you think? Is it okay? And I'm like, yes, it's fine. I'm like, okay. Well, that, that's know, as much. We, and that is as much uh, like excitement. Yeah. You were like, it's fine. That, yeah, I was like, at that point. Well, I was like, I had no reference. So sure. I was like, well, this is kind of cool. Everybody's like, you know, having fun making music and we're playing a lot. So yeah, I like playing. It's good. So yeah, so I ended up, uh, so I, I did it that summer and then went back the next year. And yeah, so, so it, was, it was good. It's actually really kind of nice because, uh, you know, I mean, Southwind was a, it was a smaller core. They had just come up from like, at that point they were had uh, like division one and two. So it was like a division two core that finally went into the division one. So uh, really, I mean, the bus rides were awful. There was very little sleep. The food was terrible. I mean, it was just an awfully bad experience, but it was great. Right. So, but the coolest thing was, is I got to, you know, you play early and then you got to watch all the big cores, you know, like cadets or Cavaliers or Vanguard and you get to watch all their shows. So I really just kind of, got to experience all this different music and the cool thing about it is is that actually in a weird way all of those shows got me into classical music because like I think that summer this was in 96 so I think that summer one of the cores was playing uh holds the planets I think one of them was doing the firebird uh and then one of them was doing like some bunch of Shostakovich. I think that was, was Phantom. Like, that was the one that I Yeah. Yeah. I love that show. Yeah. It's such a great show. I had a, a good and, friend of mine from from college was was in Phantom at the time and he told me about it and he said yeah. like yeah, it was the best. That was that's such a good show. That was like one of my favorites. Yeah. So yeah, so it's like all this orchestral music got me into orchestral music. Cause as soon as I got home, I was like, oh, I just need to get these CDs. I need to hear like what this piece actually is. And so that got me interested uh, in that. And I, it's kind of interesting because I don't know if I, if I never did that, would I, would I have had exposure to it? So would I have actually like gravitated towards um, orchestral music? So Would you have wanted to go to Aspen? I don't know. I don't know. I just, it was, um, 
this is, to, I have no problem sharing this, but this okay. is, uh, it's actually kind of funny. So actually I landed on Aspen, um, sort of, uh, to spite an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I, cause I kept seeing like, as I was roaming the halls at Alabama, you'd see posters of Aspen and I kept looking at it going, I'm going to show him, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I was like, yeah, let's just send in a video. So I prepped a video, send it in. And I was like, Whoa, I actually like got in. Cool. All right. Off to Aspen I go. And that was a whole new experience too, because then I, your just world got opened up to, wow, all these like really great, like musicians, my age and really great music. And it's just, it was just the coolest, the most awesome thing. So there I actually met my teacher that I ended up studying with when I went to grad school. So that Van Sice? Actually, it was John Haas. Oh, okay. Haas had actually at the time, so this was like um 2002 to 2004 is when I was at Peabody. So he was still teaching at Peabody at that time with uh Bob. Mm-hmm. So Bob and John were there and I uh, was studying with John. And then a couple of years later, he ended up getting the NYU gig. So then he left Peabody. And so now everybody knows him as teaching at NYU. So every time I say Peabody, I was like, oh, Bob, no, study with John, so, mm. which is good. So I, and that was also a wonderful experience because I would not be playing like I am now without that experience. Like with him and Peabody, I learned how to be an orchestral musician how to prep concerts, how to play concerts, learned all the rep. And that's what I went for. Cause like, that's what I decided when I went to Aspen, I was like, I need to, I want to do this. And this is the training I need to do in order to make it happen. Backing up a sec. Did you do Santa Clara right after you did the local? Was it like the next summer? Um, I took a year off. So um, that was in 98. So I graduated um, high school that year. So I wanted to sort of get into college so I took 90, so I, I marched Southwind 96, 97, took 98 off, and then I went to Vanguard 99. And actually, that, that was also an interesting story because I wasn't going to, you know, I thought about doing drum corps, but I really, um, I didn't really pursue it. Um, a drum instructor at the time, just up and down the halls, he just sort of approached me and he said, hey, there's a front ensemble opening at Vanguard. You should go try out for it. So I flew out. This is after all the audition camps were done, but they had an opening. So I flew out and then I, so I did the audition. It was like me and two other people were vying for this one spot. And then I got this spot. So I got the spot. And then like literally that camp, it was one of the neatest things. Like I got at the end of the camp, last rehearsal block, I get my music for the opener because we're starting to learn the opener and it has my name on it. I don't know. Just something very simple about just having my name on the music just really sort of resonated with me. And so then, and that was it. And that was a good show. That was a great show that year. What was the show? Nobody ever remembers the title, but we did uh, Grand Canyon, Bartok String Quartet, and then the closer was Blue Shades. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it was, it, was, it was good. It was a really, really great year. Really great experience. What spot were was it in the front ensemble? So at that time, uh, we were uh, we didn't stay in one station. 
I know, like that, like how they do now, where everybody just has their one instrument and they they stay. We actually rotated, so I think I started on one side of the ensemble. I think I played two tunes on marimba, and I think two tunes on vibes. So we just sort of mixed up and started on one end of the front ensemble. By the time I got to the closer, I was on the other end. So we did a lot of switching up. Did that year off from from uh, drum corps did, did did it get any better in terms of uh, the food or the sleep or anything else that's also part of drum corps or was it all the same oh well okay so everybody outside of vanguard thought that all we ever ate every night was steak and lobster (laughs) (laughs) so um we actually like so so at vanguard it was great because like we had good housing we had good food and actually the, the breakfasts were the best like breakfast burritos just about every morning and they were fantastic so yeah, we got fed very, very well. We had plenty of rest. I mean, it really was just like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be, you know? So it was, yeah, it was just a normal, like you had a normal bus ride and then you slept and then you had a normal amount of rehearsal. So it was, uh, everything was good. So, I mean, it helps when you're, you're one of the last people to play at the show as opposed to the first person to play in the show. Sure. So yeah, it was, it was a nine day experience. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. Were there any people that you played with that year in, in Vanguard that you still either they're still in the field or, uh, you know, either there or in other parts of percussion? Let's see. My seat partner, his name is Nate. And I think he works um, in the offices for the San Francisco Symphony, mm-hmm. like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, one of the other guys, um, his name is Ryan Saul. He actually teaches at a high school in uh, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, I mean, I've kind of kept in touch a little bit with some of the others through Facebook, um, but everybody sort of does different things in different jobs. I think I'm the only professional musician out of, the, out of our little front ensemble group, I think. Got it. When you went to Alabama, who was teaching at that point there? Larry Mathis was teaching at that point. So he, uh, he had started teaching at Alabama in the early 60s. And he was actually a student, like a direct student of Saul Goodman. Mm. So he, so I learned... And actually, John Haas was also a, one of the last students of Saul Goodman. So interestingly enough, I have a lot of Saul Goodman training. But um, after I got out of school, I basically shifted and learned how to play the Coy Duff style, which is now actually how I play. So I'm, I'm more of that school as opposed to the Goodman school. For refresher for me. Sure. Can you explain the two schools? All right. So, well, if I can get a little technical here. Sure, please. It's a so professional the, uh, I hope so, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So the Goodman School is kind of uh, like what I call, you know, you've heard of like, you know, German grip, French mm-hmm. grip, American grip. Okay, so the Goodman School is a little more of the American grip to where um, you're you're not all the way up here like you would be if you're playing – French. With your thumbs up if you're playing, um, like, French. Goodman. Or, or, sorry, yeah, the French are um, for Duff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's also not palms all the way down for, for German, where it's kind of like that 
you sort of for, like fly fishing in yeah. a weird way. Um, so the American is kind of halfway in between. Mm-hmm. So your thumbs are not quite facing each other, but almost. And you're using your fulcrum of your index finger and your thumb, kind of like you do on a snare drum. Okay. And so the concept is you basically allow the stick to kind of fall and rebound, pivoting along the fulcrum only. When you roll, you end up using quite a bit of back fingers to sort of assist the roll. That makes sense. Gotcha. So Um, it's a lot of the bit on regular strokes. It's a lot of it's, it's all here. It's it's all here. Just basically they're wherever they need to be. (laughs) They're wherever they need to be. Yeah, exactly. If anything, your, your pinky becomes like the stopper. Yeah. Like the, the point of where that, where the stick, when it's in vertical position, it sort of stops it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it ends up like everything is done here with your fulcrum, with your thumb and your index finger. And so, if you need to change articulation, you're having to adjust pressure here quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And what that does, and if you listen to a lot of Goodman recordings, like the old um, New York Phil recordings, it produces a pretty beefy uh, timpani sound. Like I've actually been told at one point that I sound like a big hairy man <laughs> in the back of the room. That was way back in college I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah 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 that's why i literally was like you sound like a big hairy dude back there and i'm like great that's not what it was all right thank you, uh, thank you. <laughs> so that's how uh, sort of you play and it's you know a lot of uh rebound and then the touches and pressure from here so is it I a act- lot of um a lot of velocity yeah okay so yeah um a lot of velocity um and then it really, it really does create a lot of pressure. And actually, I, I had to sort of switch to the Duff style of playing, which is the opposite. There's not a lot of, there's a little bit of hand pressure for your touch, but it's a much more relaxed grip on the stick. And you're using for the Duff, you're using more of your forearm rotation. Mm. All right. And lots of lift. Yeah. So the strike is very quick. Um, I think even Duff calls it like a boxer's jab. Oh, okay. So you're coming off of it and then you're lifting quite a bit. Uh, and the difference in the sound is that with the Duff style, it creates a very clean, a very pretty, a very warm kind of sound. Um, even if you're using really, really harsh sticks or, or hard sticks, I should say. Um, so it creates a nice sound. And I felt that um, you could change the color. Like I could be a little bit more color palette oriented. Um, playing the Duff style than I could with playing Goodman style. It just seemed to be um, sort of very vanilla. But I actually had to switch to the Duff style because I injured uh, my thumb Mm. playing in a concert because I had overpressurized what I was doing. Um, And I was like, this is not working. So I ended up having to switch over to Duff because I could not – I, I lost the ability to be able to, I had, I had no strength in this thumb. Yeah. I mean, I heard it pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So it was not good. Um, so then what, that's, this was, uh, what was this an undergrad? No, this was actually like 2009. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I had already been playing like a couple of years. Yeah. I actually, I was playing the planets. So mm-hmm. I know the exact concert almost to the exact day, probably sometime in the spring. Actually, it was. I think it was the last concert of the season because I was like, because I injured it. And then I spent the first couple of weeks of um, the summer rehabbing. And actually, I also went to the very first Duff 
um, clinic mm. that they held out in Kansas City that summer. And so I remember like playing or, or doing the clinic and I'm like, all right, don't put any pressure on this thumb. We're just going to have to, you know, so, but it healed and everything was fine. And then I just, so I was stuck with that particular um, style of playing uh, since then. How did it feel to adjust on your, the other hand that wasn't injured? It was, I mean, it was fine. It took, it took a little bit to, um, cause you're basically, I, I call it re-encoding yeah. your unlearning habits mm-hmm. by recoding new in new habits on top of it. So every now and then there are a few things that I do that you go, Oh, that's a good thing. And I, I've kept a few little, little things. Yeah. But it was a, it was a process. It took, it took several years to sort of make the transition fully. Um, but yeah, but it's been good. It's been very well, well, um, worth the, uh, the effort. When you, when you did injure your finger, mm-hmm. your thumb, um, what other activity did it like, like, were there just lots of other activities that you couldn't do for a long time for it to heal? Yeah. Like thumb rolls on a tambourine. Like, cause I'm right-handed and it was on mm-hmm. my right, my right thumb. So I very limited in being able to do, you know, thumb rolls on the tambourine, some snare drum grip stuff, um, snare drum playing. I had to sort of take a little bit of a backseat for a little bit. Yeah. You could still, you could still eat. Like you didn't have to relearn. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could still, I could still eat. I could still eat. How about driving? Driving was okay. Okay. Cause it was just, you know, I've got my other hand. Sure. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who needs two hands for driving? Who needs two hands? No, no. Yeah, it was quite a while ago. It healed fairly. It took a little bit for it to heal. Even now and then it'll, it'll swell up a little bit. So like, I think a little arthritis is sort of set in. Sure. So I just mitigate it. And, um, actually it's interesting. I, uh, for the longest time I actually wore KT tape or not KT mm-hmm. tape. Yeah. Um, uh, I know. Yeah. Like just, yeah. So I just would put a little piece of tape around it just to help keep it from swelling. Yeah. Um, that stuff is and now, yeah, that stuff is great. <laughs> and actually now I I still wear it even though I know I don't need it. Mm. But it's kind of like this reminder to go, okay, don't overpressurize your hand. And so I just sometimes I wear it just to just to make sure. But even though I really don't need to wear it anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, that stuff is so useful, like for so many different activities. Just it makes it feel like your your body won't split in half sometimes. Right. Oh yeah. Great on arms, yes. wrists, everything. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's great. Hamstrings. Oh yeah. <laughs> Lots of things. When you were at Alabama, what other activities were part of either the major or were you like were you did you do did you do marching band there? Yeah. Yeah. I did marching band. Actually, uh I marched in the drum line. So I played snare. Sweet. Percussion ensemble and the orchestra and the wind ensemble. I think that's it as far as, oh no, I did jazz band for a couple of semesters. Um, jazz combo. And of course the rest of classes. I think that was about it. I don't think I'm missing anything. <laughs> and I, I was realizing they were, the football team was fine at that point, right? This is pre-Saban. So. They were pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty bad. I mean, 
the one cool thing that I can say is that I was in the, was it the orange bowl down in Miami? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, so I did the orange bowl. I think this was 2000. Right. And, uh, we lost, we were playing Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady was their quarterback. Oh, so I've actually been in a game with Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. So anyway, wash the stink off of that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For sure. So. <laughs> you said through Aspen, that's how you get to Peabody. Yeah. Okay. That's how, that's where I met John. Yeah. Yeah. So I met him at, uh, yeah, I actually took lessons from him. Uh, Tom Stubbs, Doug mm-hmm. Howard. I think those are the three that I took lessons from when I was at Aspen. So okay. that was good. John was my primary teacher at Aspen. And then when I started doing all my graduate school audition rounds, when I got mm-hmm. around to Peabody, um, I was like, oh, yeah. I studied with him at Aspen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I think that was one of the one of the helpful deciding factors in figuring out which school to go to. What was it like to move to a different part of the country? Okay. So having never moved out of Alabama before, that was actually tough, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was so well worth it. Like, so the first couple of, you know, it was a month or two were were hard. Um, And of course I had just gotten married. So we're adjusting to new city, new home life, we were, and we were actually uh, on top of that, we were dealing with a death in the family at the same time. Um, so the first semester, um, was, was very, very, very rough, but the, but the subsequent semesters, when she sort of finally settled in, it was good. It was nice to be in a different place. I mean, I learned what really good Indian food relative since I hadn't had Indian, Indian food before Indian yeah. food is great. Chinese food was good. The crab cakes, of course, are amazing. Of course. I was like seafood. I mean, well, I mean in Maryland. Yeah, yeah, right. I adjusted to Baltimore better than my husband did. Mm. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was nice. And then I never really expected to move back to Alabama, actually. Like I thought I was going to Baltimore and then places unknown. Mm-hmm. But we ended up uh, back here, um, which is good. So my yeah. parents were happy with that. I'm sure. Yeah. What was similar, different about, I mean, obviously it's, it's grad school. So it's like the yeah. different level, but what kinds of things were similar, different learning from Larry versus learning from John and others? I'm just going to come out and say, it. I'm just going to come out and say it. So I learned that Saul Goodman is a terrible teacher. Okay. Larry was fine. John was fine. They were good. They were fine teachers. But I, it's interesting that uh, you inadvertently start to pick up teaching habits from, from your teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Intentionally or inadvertently, you start to sort of adopt what they do. With, with Larry, he was very much go at your own pace. Mm, okay. So where there were a lot of times in my undergrad where I needed some more structure, like for instance, how to properly practice, for example, um, I wasn't getting that from him, but in a weird way, I forced me to learn how to practice, but I feel like I lost a lot of time in my undergrad figuring that out. Mm. Whereas if I'd had a little bit of help along the way, then maybe I could have gotten to that 
endpoint sooner. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's, but it seems I like it's more of the, an expectation of self-motivation maybe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, um, but the content of what I was learning was great. He gave me an excellent foundation in orchestral rep, um, excellent foundation of all the percussion instruments so that I was able to go on um, to grad school at a good, at a high level. I definitely don't feel like I was lacking in that aspect. I got pushed with John, which was great. So he actually pushed me to be better. And he, he actually helped train me for, for prepping concerts. Like there were pretty much every single week we were doing a, a, the full like symphony. We went through all the Beethoven symphonies. I think we went through all the Brahms symphonies and like each week it was a new symphony. And so it started getting me into the habit and the training of being able to prep fully so that when I got to my lesson, it's like I'm performing it. Like you're, you're working out all the details. And so um, there was a little bit more training and systematic on how I do like score study and how you actually prep for, for prep for the rep and play the rep and execute the rep and what the right sound is and what the right mallets are and all of that. So um, yeah, those are kind of the two big takeaways, but I, and I kind of learned that Saul Goodman was not a very good teacher. I actually watched an old video that he had of, of Saul Goodman teaching. And it was funny because I was like, <laughs> most of it was like, well, just do it like this. And then he'd like, Saul Goodman would take the sticks and just play it and then hand it back over to the, to the student and be like, it's like that. Just do that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, I got, I got a lot of really good, um, a good background from both of them, even coming from the, sort of the Goodman school of, of to be playing, of, of which I no longer subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> it is fine. So um, maybe one of these days I'll get frisky and I'll completely change and start playing German. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Just change the do, do yeah. all of the types. You got time. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've known of Jonathan for a long time. Um, yeah. I never met him. Uh, he seems he seems like he he could be a very tough teacher to have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he can be. Um, but it comes from a place of caring. Mm. You know, there's there's a difference between a tough teacher who just doesn't care about you. But I never got that from him. And so even though it was tough, I'm glad that he was hard on me because... I needed, I needed that. I needed to be pushed because I needed to know what it takes in order to do this for a living. Right. And to do it at a high level. And and just to back up a point you made earlier, when you go there, you know that like, I want to play timpani professionally. And I assume that you said, I want to go play. Like, I want you to teach me everything because I want to do timpani for a living. (laughs) Yep. Like you stated, I would assume you might've just yeah. stated it like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me everything you got. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I did. And he did. And that's where we went. So, yeah. And I got, you know, I got the percussion training too. So yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it was, but yeah, in, the, in, in our grad, in our lessons, it was, it was very heavily, uh, heavy timpani focused, um, which is good. That's what I wanted at Alabama. We had a um, a very good wind ensemble, mm-hmm. like 
that was the top group when I was in college there. Gerald Welker um, was the conductor. He was like a force to be reckoned with. So, so I was really good at playing wind ensemble rep, right? So then I get to Peabody and I, uh, so I'm, so I'm playing in the wind ensemble at Peabody and the, of course the, the conductor, wonderful man, Harlan Parker, great guy. He like really likes my playing because I already know how to play in this venue. Like, I'm like, I know how to do this really well. So he likes me. So he keeps asking me, he wants me in his ensemble. And I finally had to go, John, I was like, John, I am not here for more wind ensemble training. I can do this with my eyes closed. I said, I need the orchestra training. I I was like, let's, I was like, I know Harlan wants me. I said, it's great. I'm flattered but I need this orchestra or orchestra training. So, so he went in and we made a change. And so uh, I started, so I wasn't doing one on something more. I was doing that. And then I also started doing the conductor's orchestra, which is great. Cause that was like kind of like a semi pro kind of thing where we actually got paid to do it. Um, so that was good. And then my, what year was it? I forget which semester. I think it was my second year, first semester. Um, you know who, uh, you know, Jihei? I mean, not personally, but yes, I know. I know. Jay. Okay. So Jihei was coming in as an incoming freshman mm-hmm. uh, that year, but it took her an extra semester to get there. So we were short a, a player. Like uh, there was something anyway, for, for whatever reason, she got delayed by a semester. So we were short a percussion player. So I ended up, that was a great semester because I got, after I told John, I was like, I'm not playing when I saw the floor. And he was like, all right, well, guess what? You're going to float between these two orchestras. So I actually did double duty that, that, um, so I played in both the concert and the symphonic orchestra, which is great. It was good. I was like, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the training. Did you like living in Baltimore? We made a really dumb mistake with the apartment we picked. So Uh no, uh, (laughs) well, we, 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 uh, we were thinking Alabama. So we lived outside uh, the beltway. Okay. Oh, I got you. Right. Yeah. Thinking, Oh, we can just like hop onto the interstate and it'll be a really quick, cause like on the map it says it's like a really quick <laughs> drive <laughs> not to realize you get on there and then you sit in the parking lot for an hour. <laughs> so that's where we made that mistake. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but the second, so my second last semester, yeah. uh, my husband got a job down in Alabama. So he moved, ahead of me and then I finished up my last semester and it was actually nice I house sat or cat sat actually for a couple who lived sweet much closer in town so I had a nice house big old house to myself with a crazy cat mm-hmm. the cat was lovely so yeah it, it was good so I, I enjoyed and it closer a bit. I assume yo yes much <laughs> much closer yeah much closer so a couple of things that I would do different in hindsight but um but yeah but I enjoyed Baltimore yeah. I grew up in, 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 on Long Island, New York. So, um, I am very, I, 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 I see, I've definitely looked at the map and thought, what's everyone's complaining about? And then you're on right. it and you're like, Oh, this. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Not, not something you got to worry about. Oh no. The traffic around here is easy. Yeah. Even when it's bad. I'm like, it's not that not bad. bad. Yeah. This, this is easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was your husband in Baltimore just kind of 
was he doing school as well at that point or was he just with you? Don't he actually mind. got a job. Yeah, he got a band directing job. Okay. Um, at one of the high schools in the area. So so he did that for yeah, for like a year and a half there and then got an opportunity uh back in Alabama and then he moved. So is he from Alabama? Actually he's not. Okay. Born in Indiana. Okay. Spent his middle he spent his middle middle school days in on Long Island. Really? Where? Do you know? Oh, I can't remember where. Oh, I'll have to ask him. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just can't remember where. Um, okay. And then he spent his, uh, that was middle school. He spent a time in Virginia, and I think that was elementary school. And then high school was um, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Oh, okay. So he ended up, so we actually met at Alabama. Okay. So he spent his first year of college at LSU and he transferred to Alabama. And then I met him. Actually, I met him through Southwind first. Okay. So, yeah. So he was on the drum line and I was in the front ensemble and then we were friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which is good. Yeah. And, and then as we were friends, uh, I asked him to prom. <laughs> nice. And he actually said yes. <laughs> You're like, wait, wait what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. He said, yeah. So, yeah. And actually that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. So then we dated all through college and then got married when we were done. And so we'll, uh, this actually this summer is our 20 year anniversary. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. Now, prior to your husband getting the job, cause obviously mm-hmm. you two are connected. So you're going to assuming move to where one is, mm-hmm. um, but was, were you, had you done either like professional auditions around the country at some point or was you hadn't gotten to that step yet? Yeah, I, I was just like as soon as I got. Well, actually, right before I got done with grad school, I started diving into the circuit. OK. And so getting the. um, The two like the Gulf Coast job and the kind of the sub timpani spot essentially wasn't really spot, but I, I basically played pops concerts mm-hmm. in Huntsville. Um, and it just kind of sort of worked out. And it was just uh, like, I think he actually got the job in Alabama first. And then I ended up landing these two playing opportunities. And so then that basically landed us as home base for a little bit. And then from there, I just started taking, you know, auditions when they came up. Honestly, when I first started, the the timpani auditions were actually few and far between. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a dry spell. We didn't really hit the big like timpani turnover um, that we had like the last you know four or five, six years. What was? Do you remember what that winning that first job? What was some of the? What was the process for that particular position? It was a relatively short um, excerpt list. I think there were two rounds. And so you just had like a pre, like a prelim slash it wasn't three so it didn't it was like pre, prelim slash semi and then a final round. Was it all on site and was it one day? All on site one day. I think it was behind a screen. Okay. The whole yeah. thing, even the finals. I think so. Okay. I mean, I mean yeah. What? I mean the auditions are like. I mean, all auditions are pretty much. Some are longer than others, but sure. the you know. 
process is pretty much the same with everybody, you know, just the, the length of the list may be varied depending. And then whether it's three, like a prelim semifinal, how much of that is um, behind a screen or not behind a screen. How did they let you know that you won? They actually let me know fairly, not immediately after, but it was fairly shortly after like all the, like everything had been concluded. Did they do it in person? I think they did it in person. Yeah. They just let me know in person. By yourself or were all of you, all the finalists together? I was, uh, I think I was by myself. Okay. Or it's been a bit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I've, it's weird. I've heard both of other when I've had other orchestral percussionists on that yeah. there's been like the the everyone's in the room, and then they let the person know, and then there's been the ones like this where it's they're by themselves. I would much rather yeah. do it by myself. I don't want to be in. I don't want to have to congratulate someone who won, and I don't want right. to have to like temper my emotions. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that front. I think telling them, in, telling not in the giant group is, is a good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. Uh, Laura, I finish up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Sure. Uh, first question is, what's an issue in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Oh, that's a good one. I have to filter that a little bit because it's like, it's like, okay, I could probably answer it for middle school, high school, college. Sure. Um, but I think in general, I'll answer my, my annoying high school one. Okay. Like my biggest pet peeve with education in high schools is getting so sucked into indoor Mm. where they're teaching marching percussion year round that they forget that percussion ensemble is a thing. And they forget that, oh, little Susie Q actually wants to go study percussion, but she can only play marimba. And you're in college. So I have to start. So having to teach at a collegiate level, somebody the basics of snare drumming really drives me nuts. (laughs) And they could probably play like, Oh yeah, they're playing like lost love or you right. Know, yeah, they're playing you know high level marimba stuff, and we can't even play a buzz roll. Yeah. Okay, we have our work cut out for us. Yeah, it'd be better a well rounded percussion education as a high schooler would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's, this it's interesting because of how you described your own uh, process in like Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. Where you were not, I mean, okay, it was it was marimba and vibes, but you were mm-hmm. le- you were not tied to one instrument, right? And so yeah. it's like that's Eve, that's more well rounded, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and I and I so I, I've been teaching front ensemble for several years after that, and actually for many years I would do that with the kids. Yep. And then I guess only in the last like five or six years I've stopped doing that. And I basically put a kid on a single instrument and it's, I get it. It's convenient. It's easier. You're teaching one technique to one kid as opposed to two techniques. 
Um, but yeah, in a, in a way it is, it is kind of doing the students a disservice by sticking them on that one particular instrument um, for the, for their like entire high school, right. You know, marching career or percussion career. But my, you know, it's nice because uh, my husband does a good job um, with his, with his band, which is also the same front ensemble that I work with. So he basically says that in the spring, when he does percussion ensemble, he actually makes all the drummers, right. Who marched in the battery actually play a keyboard instrument. And then he makes all the front ensemble kids play a percussion instrument, like snare drum, timpani, bass drum, all that stuff. So, you know, and that's an easy thing to do, you know? So I would just wish more band directors would do that. Yeah. And it's not, you, you wouldn't even necessarily suffer on level of music for percussion ensemble by switching right. it up. You there's, there's music that's going to, Oh work. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Next yeah. question. And right. wherever you want to go. And you've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I, I would love to hear more about this, but being a percussionist, who's also a woman. Mm-hmm. Floor is <laughs> yours. All right. I probably should start with the positive which is I have been very fortunate that all of my male colleagues are absolutely wonderful. They do not treat me any different than they do each other. Like everybody is extremely um, professional, complimentary, um, inclusive. So I'm I'm very fortunate um, that I've actually worked with a lot of really great, um, really great guys. I know that other women have probably had different situations um, and that's unfortunate. I, my, I, I think my whole hope and wish is that I don't want you to look at me like I'm a, I'm a female timpanist. Right. I just want to be a timpanist, yep. right? Regardless of what I look like. So far, uh, the conductors that I've worked for have also not treated me any differently either. So I, I, I count myself very fortunate to have uh, a good experience on that front. I don't know about the audition circuit, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. um, regarding the fairness. I've done quite a few auditions, some big ones also. Yeah, I just hope that that the audition circuits are at least being as fair as possible. I w- I'll, I'll tell you this and you... Feel free to edit this out if you'd like. Sure. Uh, one of the most sort of jarring experiences was it was the semifinal and the final round were not behind a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, it's the final round that's not behind a screen. So when I so when I played the semifinal round and I walked on stage and you looked out and saw who was sitting in the audience, mm-hmm. there were no women in the audience. Mm-hmm. which I found a little jarring that the committee it may have been very um, diverse as far as instrumentation, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I, I thought that was kind of a, a sort of an interesting, the kind of see a sea of men. <laughs> sure. But then it just starts to get in your head when you look at that, like, oh, are they judging me on what I look like? That was my experience. Yeah. Like I said. That's interesting. I'm actually, I'm really glad you said that if nothing else, cause I, I don't, I've never been on that 
Um, I've never, orchestra is never my thing in terms of like a full-time position. So Mm -hmm. I don't even, I hadn't even considered a performer looking out and seeing that as, as a, a thing that would get in your head until you explained it this way. Yeah. Cause it also could just be whether you play differently or not, it gets in your head about, do I want to, if I got this, do I want to join this organization? Right. Yeah. 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 That's a very, yeah, there's, there a lot, a lot of interesting there. things. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of levels there for sure. All right. Well, let's get to some other questions. Uh, not sure. as, uh, not as serious. Um, That's fine. Uh, oh, all right. We, we, I'll find some serious stuff. No. <laughs> all right. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Oh gosh. Not that I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> you know of anybody who wants to try? Go for it. <laughs> I'll take it. Like none, of, none of your front ensemble kids have uh, have walked in they as you today. They are terrified of me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like. I, apparently, I I can be very intimidating when I walk into the room, mm-hmm. and I also know how to turn it on and really amp up the. <laughs> intimidation factor so um yeah so they're yeah they're all just terrified of me (laughs) that's the i think that's the hossness that's the john hossness oh yeah know how to turn that on real good yeah (laughs) so nice all right um what is the most impractical item of clothing you own i just spark joy so everything i love in my closet (laughs) I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. There's no, uh, there's no old um, Alabama football jersey that's just hanging on a. Oh, man. Well, I do have my old drumline jackets, my old nice. Vanguard jackets. Sweet. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know, she was in Vanguard a decade earlier, but do you know Julie Gaines? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I know her, but I don't know that we've actually, have we talked? Maybe, maybe via email. Well, she's the director of school music, but she was the percussion director for a long time at Mizzou where I teach. Uh-huh. And she did Vanguard in 80, the year they won it in the late eighties. I can't remember which year. Uh, okay. Yeah. But her, I think her, a parent or someone put her jacket in a, it's in a frame. Oh yeah. So, oh, I should do that. Yeah. yeah. Cause she's like, I'm not going to wear this again, but like she's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's still hanging in my closet. So. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Huh? That's good. That's a good answer. All right. I do uh, have a, I do have a fur stole that was my great grandmother's. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I have worn it once to a Mardi Gras ball. Yeah. But that's fairly impractical. But Except for that day. <laughs> yeah, except for that one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I like that. I like it. All right. Uh, what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? Oh, okay. A great movie is Snatch. Oh, yes. The I most like uh, indecipherable. Uh, that movie like needs uh, subtitles. Yeah. Real yeah, bad. It's great. Yes. It's awesome. Yep. 
Uh, that is that the way? Is that the one where the dog swallows the chew toy? Yes, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> that like gets lodged in your brain when you see that. Yep. Awesome. That one's great. And then a bad movie. Just because my husband was watching it the other night, The Green Lantern. Oh, That's I avoided that one. Bad. That's a terribly bad movie, and the only—it's just literally top of mind because he was just watching. It. I was like, "Why are you watching this? This is terrible." And he was like, I'm just trying to figure out where it went bad. I'm like, from the beginning. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Casting? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know. All of the above. So. Those are great choices. Thanks. All right. What is a great book? All right. I actually have, I've got two mm-hmm. that, that really, okay, that are, are life-changing. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first one actually is is called The Total Money Makeover by Dave oh, Ramsey. This. Who's who's the author? Dave Ramsey. Oh yeah, okay. So, um, kind of a side note. So we, uh, so my husband and I spent the last like up until I think uh, the pan- during the pandemic we actually got out of debt mm. completely. Awesome. And we had it basically took us. Um, three years and a couple of months to pay off $142,000 using that process. Yeah. So the book outlines a process of how to actually get out of debt and it actually works. So I, it's like one of those books that like, if you are struggling with debt, start there, follow the plan, follow the process. It's not an easy process. I mean, you basically go, they call it rice and beaning because you're basically, you, you cut down all of your expenses to the very bare bones minimum and you're just throwing all your cash at your debt. And so it actually really, really, really works. So like a living proof of it. And it's been so freeing to yeah. not have all of that, like student loans, credit card debt, house note. I mean, not house note. We still have a house note, but that's, that's our next step. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a whole step process to it. It's fantastic. So that one. And then the other one, it actually is the 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 life-changing magic of tidying up, the spark joy. Like another how-to book of how to like organize your life and keep the things that you have around you of the things that you love. So those those two books are like were definitely life-changing for me. And so I highly, highly recommend them. I mean, I like a lot of books, so. I, I know that's why I, I figured two on top of mind. Yeah. Yes. So right. I don't know if any of them are right next to the stormtrooper head. That's right behind your, your head. Oh, yeah. You like that? Yeah. You can't, you can't see the ad at, but there's an ad at in the head of the ad at over there in the corner. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything in that stormtrooper head or is it just a, no, just a head. Okay. <laughs> just a, it's one of those Lego. Um, oh, my yeah. husband is the Lego aficionado. So gotcha. Yeah. That's very cool. I could I could guess what this would be, but do you have a sports fandom? Uh I do like football. Okay. So I actually do like pro football. Um, but the nice thing about living in Alabama, there's no f- pro football team. Mm-hmm. So I get to pick and choose who I enjoy. Yep. Um which, so, means, which which means what team or teams? Well, I, I actually am a Ravens fan for living in Baltimore. Oh, sure, yeah. For a time. And then my husband and I, um, uh, 
Okay, back in 2007, I think we we took a trip to Seattle and went to a Seahawks game. Mm. So now we're like um, adoptive Seahawks fans. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where that goes in the future. Oh yeah, they sold That's their true. whole team away. <laughs> I know. Jeez, cleaning house. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, and then we're close to New Orleans, so we also sort of follow the Saints mm-hmm. loosely. So, and then of course I'm in Alabama. Right. Football fan. <laughs> just like cough out roll good. tide. It just like falls out. You don't even. Oh, yeah. You don't even yeah. notice you're saying it. Yep. yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Did you, there's the, I, I, I've been to Alabama a couple times just here and there. Mm-hmm. And I have, I actually, with Mizzou's football team, we, we played at Alabama a few years ago. And so yeah. I actually came to that game, which was amazing. Um, I mean, it was a, the experience of that, of that stadium is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, also they, they killed us and they were like, afterwards, they're like, Oh, it's so nice for you all to, to make the trip. And you know, they were all, everybody was all sweet. And I'm like, I'm sure if it was a tougher game, it, it w- I would not be receiving this, this pat on the back for making the, you know, for all of us making the trip over, but you know, yeah. Um, but the, the stadium experience was outstanding. Yeah. Um, the whole, the whole game day atmosphere over there is very impressive. It's very impressive. Um, so that, that was, that was really cool. But there's that a commercial years ago where they, it was like everyone in Alabama is like, they stumbled and stopped by the police and they're like, roll tide, roll tide. Like it was like, they, mm-hmm. they bought something at the convenience store and they like roll tide at each. I know. I don't, I don't know if that was true. It seems like it's probably based on some fact. At anywhere. And they're going to re- respond in kind. Oh, okay. I got it's you. Kind of, it's, it's basically like saying, Hey, how are you? Yeah. Yeah. Roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. <laughs> All over the time. Yeah. All right. Very, very, very cool. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Oh, uh, okay. So I've never traveled overseas to Europe. Okay. And then uh, we're actually going to London in the beginning of June. Very cool. So, yeah. That trip is already booked and got to still finish planning it but it's booked and ready to go so i'm super excited where are you where are you going we're going to london we're gonna, How long right, are there? we're gonna be there seven days i think nice. and we're just gonna attack london with a vengeance yeah yeah so yeah, do you have any good. what kinds of stuff do you are you thinking of doing or are you still not putting all that uh well, since I've never been, we're going to do the the highlights. So, like the Tower, mm-hmm. Buckingham Palace, all the museums, mm-hmm. the Eye. Um, yeah. So, we'll take, you know, all the greatest hits. Nice. The Tate, both Tates are awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, the Tate Modern and I think just... Oh, nice. Um, I would definitely recommend uh, Camden Town or Camden Lock. Okay. Uh, yeah. because there's a, it's like, if you get there at the right time, they'll, it like switches. Like if there's a boat goes through, they have to, kind oh, of yeah. the, it's super cool. But they, that, but that area, the market there has the best, has like the best street food I've ever had in my mm. entire life. It's like a, awesome. it's basically like name a country in the world and there's a, mm-hmm. it's cuisine is right there. So it's, oh, so yummy. Good. that sounds awesome. Um, are you a, uh, Jane Austen fan? I mean, I like Jane Austen okay. I mean, because there's like that, there's like Hampstead Heath and there's like other places yeah. kind of 
because uh, my wife is. So w- when we've, okay. we've done that as well, and that's that's all, all super cool. So okay, yeah, seven days is not going to be a long time, but because you'll just go and you'll be like, okay, next time we need to come for like two months. <laughs> right, right, yeah, that's okay. Well, but it's awesome. It'll be. It's, it's going to be the best. We'll go I'm, again. I'm, I've, I've been fortunate. I've been there a few times and, and every time it's nice. like, I just want to go back. <laughs> nice. And yeah. the food uh, is great, which is a sh- kind of a shocking thing, but yeah. So good. Yeah. Awesome. I know. I've already actually I've scoured which uh, restaurants I want to try to go to. Mm-hmm. So now it's just a matter of planning the day and then planning the, the meals. Yes. I really like, I, I honestly, I'm probably going to get more enjoyment out of the planning of the trip, the trip itself. But that's how I am with, with all that. You like that? I could see that. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, I love you're... the planning. <laughs> yep. What is another thing? What is something, let's say you, it, this could be on the obscure end, but if mm-hmm. you were to meet someone and they go, I like this, whatever that is, and then you immediately like, we're good. What's that for you? Stargate. Stargate? Yeah. You know that TV show? I, I'm familiar with it. I, I've never watched it, but I, I'm familiar with the show, yes. Yeah. So not a lot of people have watched that show. Mm-hmm. But if you ever meet a Stargate fan, yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That was, I remember it more from the, that there was a movie. Yeah. From the. Yeah. Night. And then there was, right. And then there was this, the TV series. I think it ran like 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. It had Richard Dean Anderson in it. Yes. So, and then there was a spinoff series called Stargate Atlantis. Mm. So, which also ran for like five years, I think. So, yeah, that's a great show. Nice. Have you met Stargate fans over the years? A few. Okay. Nice. Did they have like a bumper sticker somewhere? You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. That's great. All right. A couple more. Uh, strangest, mm-hmm. funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? Outdoor windy concerts. And then you're playing and your entire plexiglass just decides to like slam onto the drums. <laughs> and then you're like, man, scene. <laughs> you're talking about plexiglass for. Yeah. Like, so like, like, it's like the, the, the size music. Of, yeah. So it's the size of like the music stand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, there was this one concert was so, like, I put it up there thinking, oh, this is going to hold my music. And then the wind knocked it over and then the music over. And you're like, oh, well, that just happened. Like while you're playing? Oh, yeah. Like, so I'm like rolling or something with, and it just like literally yeah. muted everything? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll addendum here. Okay. Gotcha. I'm I did think of one. So there was an outdoor concert where we played where... Um, Memorial Day, the termites decided to swarm. So we're on stage, and as the sun goes down, the lights are up. All of a sudden, everybody in the orchestra gets attacked by thousands and thousands of termites. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was actually uh, quite funny, but crazy. I mean, they're completely harmless, but, like, they're crawling all everything. Yeah. That's good. Like like plague, plague of termites. It's warming. Yeah, in the middle of a concert. And we're all just playing. 
So nothing, nothing stops. It just, you just keep going and everyone's kind of, Oh, nothing stops. We're just keeping going. That was probably one of the worst experiences, Ugh. but that's all right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I was, was, was have a little bit of creeps here now, but yeah. It just kept going and everyone's like, all right, are we done yet? Are we done yet? Are we done yet? Yeah. So did they, did, were the tempos a little more we agitado at that point? No, but it's really hard when the conductor starts swatting them away with his other hand. <laughs> and, and you're like, Where, where's the toe? What are we doing with the tempo? What's going on here? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So. I had, again, I consider the, other. <laughs> the, the conducting um, yes. implications of trying to deal with, with everything going yeah. on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I felt bad for the like like they the termites were crawling inside violin and violists like that's bad. Yeah, they were not happy about that. I just felt bad for all the woodwind and brass players. I was like, how many insects are you going to inhale <laughs> before you? <sighs> like all we were doing was just you know swatting away with a stick. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Go. That's a good yeah. one. We can we can. Uh, yeah, there you go. That'll Get just show. It'll be like you came up with that right off the bat. It's gonna be great. Awesome. So, all right, Laura. Last question: What one piece of art could be? Music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently? Okay, so it's funny. I have two. I have two answers. Okay. The first thing that always comes to mind of a piece of music that's very impactful to me is Mahler Symphony Number no. 2. Mm. And it's just an absolutely beautiful piece. But to truly answer your question, uh, as far as music is concerned, I a touching musical experience that I had very recently was in a concert where we, we played the Ukrainian National Anthem. And we did, I, I did this actually two different orchestras. We played it. Um, and just the response that you got from the audience when we told them we were playing it was just extremely meaningful. And it was so, it was nice. I mean, I was like, like myself and the brass players were reading off of a choral score. So I basically am just creating a part to it, which is just great so i'm creating the part kind of on the fly and then we're playing this you know and the significance of it surrounding it was just actually very moving to do that so that has actually been one of the most kind of moving musical experiences very very recently on a much interestingly happier note the piece of art uh, i bought my first nft oh like over christmas okay so and it's a lovely piece of art. Um, I actually have it on my phone. This is going to be kind of weird, but that's what it looks like. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually really pretty. It's got these like gold, like uh, what looks like rain mm-hmm. over the blue background. And I just thought it was absolutely lovely. And so I bought my first NFT. So now I own an NFT. And yeah, that's great. Laura, we are done. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you asking me to do this. This has been a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. I thank you. And I, same, I had, I enjoyed it quite a lot as well.
so great to chat with Laura during this interview. I hope for a great end to her performance year for the future and for her upcoming trip to London. I hope that's awesome. As promised, this week's rave is the chance I had to travel back to Wake Forest University to perform in the orchestra reunion concert to honor the retirement of the longtime director of the university orchestra, Dr. David Hagee. This was a concert and retirement that was two years in the making. It was originally scheduled for April 2020. Then it was supposed to happen last year. Well, this was the year. Prior to Dr. Hagee's arrival at Wake Forest in the fall of 1995, which was my junior year at school, I had been under the direction of Dr. George Troutwine for my first two years. He had been at school for many years and was someone who I learned a great deal under both in terms of literature and musicianship. And I very much appreciated learning from him and his wife, Barbara Troutwine, also known as Mrs. T, who taught woodwind methods and was assistant director of athletic bands and director of the women's basketball pep band in my time there. I hadn't seen either in a long time, and it was fantastic to catch up with both of them and their son, Matthew. I also got to check in with the director of bands, Dr. Kevin Bowen, who also arrived during my time at Wake, and who will be retiring next year, and hopefully for a similar concert, and Tim Heath, the current director of athletic bands there, along with seeing last week's guest, John R. Beck, at the concert. But the person of the hour was Dr. David Hagee. We convened on Saturday afternoon for our rehearsal with a program of De Moldau by Bedrich Smetna, Lyric for Strings by George Walker, the Johann Sebastian Bach, Leopold Stokowski version of the Toccata and Fugue in D minor, more on that in a moment, and closing with Otto Respighi's Pines of Rome. The ensemble included not only some ringers locally, which is pretty typical for that orchestra, but also included over 60 alumni, including myself, who returned to play with the current student population of the orchestra. After rehearsal, we had a few hours to kill, and I took a walk around Rinalda Gardens, a popular walking and picnic jogging area connected to Wake's campus, which was filled on that Saturday in April with a lot of prom folks getting their picture taken. I mean a lot. It's filled. The evening event was a party at a location near town where I got to connect with old friends and make new friends. And a bunch of us, including myself, publicly thanked David for all he'd done for us. Part of my remarks discussed the annual Halloween concert he started there, which opens every time with the aforementioned Toccata and Fugue, and how important he was in the early part of my own percussion career, as, after my time at Wake Forest, he hired me as section percussionist for the Salisbury Symphony Orchestra that he directs while I was a grad student at UNC Greensboro, along with hiring me for a number of musicals that he directed over the years. These were really important performances that got me a lot of early experience. After spending time with family and friends, we all reconvened Sunday afternoon for a brief rehearsal, and then it was concert time. And it was amazing. The group played really well. The crowd was very excited. And I even got some positive comments on my own playing, which is always good. If I'm being honest, it was also very emotional. David started to tear up and break a couple of times during his closing comments, at which point I started to tear up. 
and I had to pull myself together for this very challenging first movement triangle part in Pines of Rome. But I realized, and I knew at the time, that that emotional side was simply in honor of what David and all of that faculty and Wake Forest University have meant to me in my life. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Enjoy retirement, David. You have earned it. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.